Welcome to Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN.
Good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to Radio Orbit, KOPN 89.5. This is Mike Hagan. I'm your host every week on Radio Orbit from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning on Sunday morning after midnight Saturday night. Just cruised in and just checking things out down on Broadway. A bunch of people hanging down at the Blue Note. I'm not sure who's actually playing down there tonight, uh, but I was down at Mojo's last night checking out BCR. That was a great show, and uh, a quick thanks to uh, Richard and Cheney and all the gang down there for putting together a really good uh, good show last night. So anyway, uh, this is Radio Orbit, uh, Mike Hagan, and uh, I got a great show lined up for you guys tonight. I hope you're going to hang with me and enjoy it. Uh, We've got Kent Stedman from www.cyberspaceorbit.com. Kent's going to be on the line with us in about an hour. And um, uh, we'll, get him, uh, we'll get him lined up in, in just a little while here. Uh, Kent was actually supposed to be with us last week, but he had uh, something personal came up, and uh, so we rescheduled him, got him, uh, got him coming, in to, coming in tonight, and everything's all set up for that. So that's going to be a great program. We've got a lot of interesting things to talk about. And uh, uh, we'll, uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a little while. Oh, as always, uh, I love coming in here on the Sunday morning, late Saturday night, at least for the last couple of months. We've been getting real close to full moons or full moons every, every uh, Saturday night or Sunday, uh, Sunday morning every four weeks or so. And uh, uh, tonight, no different. A beautiful moon out there shining over Columbia. And uh, just a pleasure to be out uh, this evening. So... Anyway, okay, great to be with you all tonight. Uh, so like I said, Kent Stedman coming up tonight. Uh, and um, we'll do, real fast here, we'll do a uh, space weather update like we do every week. We'll find out what's going on on the sun. We'll talk about what's happening in the, in the skies above our heads uh, every, every day. And um, we'll do that. I've got a bunch of interesting news stories to talk about, uh, some stuff that will tie in probably with... Uh, some of the things that Kent and I will be discussing a little bit later. Uh, so let's uh, let's just get right into it here. Space weather, space weather update, uh, solar forecast. Okay, you know we we talk about the sun here every week, and um, the last week has been pretty mellow actually. Ever since I've been doing the show, I've only been doing the show for about five weeks, and we've had uh, quite a bit to talk about every week. Uh, this week, um, actually, not a whole lot to talk about. The sun's been Pretty mellow. Haven't had any major uh, any any major flare activity. Um, the uh, the forecast is low, and it's going to remain remain that way for for the, for the rest of the week. Um, probably for at least the next four or five days. Uh, probably not a lot of uh, likelihood for 
aurora or any of those sort of phenomenon that we see when we have uh, high solar activity. Um, there is uh, one thing I'll mention, though. Uh, if, you've a if you're a regular listener of the program, you know for a while we've been following this sunspot area 649, and it's a real unusual, uh, real unusual sunspot area in that it is uh, very long-lived. Most sunspots dissipate after just a few weeks, sometimes less than that. This one has persisted and uh, hung around with us for over two months now, and um, it's on the back side of the sun right now, and uh, we actually have an idea of what it looks like through uh, a, um, a particular technology. It's called heliospheric uh, or heliotropic holography holographic heliotropism or something like that. I, f I forget exactly. But anyway, it gives them a way to sort of image the backside of the sun even though we can't see it. So we know 649 is still together. We know it's still on the backside and it's rotating around. And uh, it'll be uh, rolling around the east limb of the sun um, on about the 31st or uh, around September 1st, something like that. So we'll keep an eye on 649 because that's been a real interesting area and we've had some real... Uh, significant flare activity that has uh, come from that region over the last couple months. Every time it rolls around, it sends, uh, sends a few of them our way. So we'll keep our eye on that uh, this coming week. Maybe we'll talk about that next, uh, we'll talk about that next weekend and uh, see if there's anything more interesting to talk about, okay? All right. Um, Venus and Saturn. Uh, pretty cool uh, sight right now if you go out in the early morning hours, maybe just before the sun's coming up. Uh, if you look toward the east, you'll see Venus is very, very bright. It, uh, it'll, it'll be the brightest star in the sky, even though it's a planet. Of course, most of the brightest stars, quote-unquote, that we see are actually planets, and that's why they uh, appear to be brighter, because they're actually a lot closer than, uh, than any of the real stars. So the, uh, the bright stars in the sky are oftentimes just planets that are reflecting, uh, reflecting light from, from our sun and uh, are not generating that light themselves. So, anyway, this morning, uh, uh, if you get up uh, before, the, before the sun, look to the east, um, and uh, Venus and Saturn will be really close to one another. In fact, in a couple of days, they're going to be just a couple of degrees apart. Um, so, uh, if you want to check out kind of a cool astronomical image, you can do that uh, anytime over the next few days. Just get up in the morning and look toward the east. And uh, that reminds me, I've had a couple of really friendly listeners that had some questions and stuff. Uh, um, that that star that you're seeing in the east is Venus. Um, I appreciate the emails, but it is not uh, a UFO, and it is not uh, Planet X. Uh, or the International Space Station, it is the planet Venus. Not that, uh, not that I'm discounting the fact that any of those uh, may, in fact, exist. They certainly may, but, uh, but that star that you're seeing in the morning in the east is not one of those things. So, anyway, that's Venus. Everybody, uh, uh, just, uh, just so you know that. Also, uh, Uranus, uh, or Uranus, depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, Uranus and the Earth are actually having a close encounter this week. Uranus is at, at uh, what we call opposition. Uh, that was actually yesterday. And um, opposition basically means it's on the opposite side of the sun. Um, but it's also the closest that Saturn ever gets to the Earth. So uh, um, that's happening right now. So anybody interested in astrology, you may find some significance in that. Uh, also... 
um, it's not very easy to see uh, Uranus is still very um, very dim, only about a sixth, uh, only about the brightness of a sixth magnitude star. So, so uh, that one um, probably not something that you're gonna, unless you have some telescopic equipment, you're probably not gonna probably not gonna see that. So, okay, what else? Um, Potentially hazardous asteroids we talk about every week. We talk about uh, space rocks that might be uh, interloping with our uh, orbit of the planet Earth, our, our, the, the orbit of, of our planet here. And um, uh, nothing significant coming up uh, until the 29th of September when we have talked about this before and we will uh, talk about it again. Uh, Tutatis, a very large asteroid that was discovered uh, many years ago uh, is going to be making a, a flyby and a pretty close encounter with the planet Earth on September 29th or thereabouts and that one's going to be an interesting one because uh, Tutatis is sort of, a, sort of an enigma. The name uh, Tutatis is actually comes from uh, a Celtic uh, or uh, Scottish god Gaelic tradition. Uh, Tutatis, this, this, this particular uh, uh, God was considered the protector of of all of the tribes and um, uh, was fearful of nothing but uh, uh, anyway he was sort of a protectorate God but this particular uh, these tribes also had a legend of uh, of the sky falling on their heads <laughs> so uh, so interpret that any way you like anyway Tutatis is big it's uh, about three miles long it's about a mile and a half wide and uh, it has a real funky orbit and so that's why we want to watch it because it has had close encounters with the earth in the in the past and in fact i think uh, my own personal opinion is that's probably why one of the reasons why that its orbit is so erratic is that it has had some close calls with uh, some other planetary bodies and um those things influence one another and if that happens frequently you get an orbit that's not really stable it's uh, uh, unstable because you have all these different forces acting on the on the body pulling it and pushing it and knocking it around um, and that is uh, what appears to be the case with Tutatis uh, so uh, Tutatis is supposed to be coming within a distance of about a million miles of Earth uh, which is a very small amount of distance in in astronomical or sort of cosmic terms so this is one that we will keep our eye on and uh, uh, we'll talk about it a little more in the next uh, the next few shows coming up um, that is uh, about it for what's going on in uh, in space weather and what's going on in the sun like I said nothing uh, too significant so um, get up early tomorrow morning or this morning check out Venus and Saturn to the east and um, uh, we're going to set the mood here with uh, Kent's going to be coming to us of course live from the cave in Seattle that's where he lives that's what I call it I call it the cave anyway so we'll be talking to Kent live from the cave and uh, in the meantime we're going to be listening to some music from Seattle and we'll set the tone right now we'll get it going with Black Hole Sun Soundgarden KOPN Radio Orbit
Soundgarden Radio Orbit KOPN. This is Mike Hagen hanging with you guys on a on a Sunday morning, Saturday after midnight, and uh, just did a little space weather update, and I uh, we'll want to bring uh, bring you up to speed on some other stuff real fast here. So, okay, what's going on in the world? What's going on? I'm getting myself organized here. Okay, uh, tonight, Ken Stedman, CyberspaceOrbit.com. We'll be talking about UFOs and uh, UFO experiences, and we'll also be talking about um, some of the Earth uh, changes that seem to be intensifying. Lots of interesting things happening on the planet right now. Uh, we'll also be talking, we might touch on some political stuff, actually, and uh, talk about some secret society stuff that you may or may not be interested in or may or may not be uh, aware of. So that's coming up in about 35 minutes. We'll get Kent on the phone here. Uh, next week, I will actually be gone uh, visiting a friend out in Denver, Colorado for a wedding. Um, so uh, I will probably a a repeat of an earlier program. I have a lot of people that are just, uh, just now tuning into the show for the first time over these last few weeks. I've um, I uh, had a lot of new listeners that have sent me emails and uh, given me a phone call here or there. So uh, they haven't heard some of the earlier programs that we did a month, month and a half ago. So I'm going to replay uh, a program from earlier, uh, earlier last month, actually. And then uh, coming back on the following Sunday, uh, I'll be airing an interview with uh, G. Edward Griffin. Ed Griffin, um, uh, a... Uh, a hero of mine, actually, and a true patriot, somebody uh, who is really important and doing really important work in this country right now. Uh, Ed Griffin and I are going to be talking about the Federal Reserve. We're also going to be talking about 9-11 um, and the policies that were instituted by the U.S. government after 9-11, uh, including the, uh, the so-called war in Afghanistan, really not a war, but uh, anyway, the war in Afghanistan and then following the uh, the war in Iraq, and Ed Griffin has some pretty interesting insights into those things and uh, perhaps a perspective that you're not familiar with. So hang in uh, and come back around and check it out on September 11th. Actually, Sunday morning is the 12th, Saturday is the 11th, um, but uh, I'm going to do a little, little S11 special program uh, in honor of the, the folks that lost their lives and the families of those people and uh, the repercussions that just uh, rippled out throughout the entire planet uh, on that day. And we're still feeling the effects uh, directly right now. So anyway, that will be uh, coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Colin Ross, Dr. Colin Ross is the, uh, the head of the Ross, in the Ross Institute for Psychological Trauma. He's also the author of a, a book called Bluebird, The Deliberate Creation of Multiple Personalities by Psychiatrists. Now, Colin Ross is a, uh, a doctor of psychiatry, and he uh, runs the Ross And uh, he is a very, very interesting fellow, and uh, that's going to be a great interview. I'll actually be talking to him on Monday, and then we'll, uh, we'll air that interview in a, in a, in a couple of weeks. Lucy Pringle is another very interesting uh, person. Lucy Pringle is one of the foremost uh, respected researchers into the phenomenon of crop formations and crop circles. And uh, Lucy is going to be my guest live um, on 
September the 26th. And Lucy is in uh, Westshire, England, in the the British Islands there in the United Kingdom. And uh, so Lucy will be coming to us live. It'll be about 9 o'clock in the morning on Sunday when we talk to Lucy. And uh, it'll be at about 3 o'clock in the evening, or 3 o'clock in the morning, I guess, here at KOPN. So, uh, so some really good shows uh, coming up uh, that I've got lined up for you guys. And uh, a lot of other ones in the wing that I haven't quite gotten uh, a complete uh, handle on yet, but I'll be uh, solidifying those over the next few weeks here. Uh, and don't forget, Kent Stedman going to be on here in just about a half hour. Kent is just a fascinating guy, a guru of mine, and uh, just a, uh, an incredible person that has a tremendous amount of information to share. So that's going to be a great, uh, a great talk that we're going to have tonight. Okay, uh, while, we're at, uh, while we're at it, let's take care of some business also. Um, people, if you want to get in touch with me, email address, orbitradio at aol.com. That's orbitradio, no spaces, at aol.com. Uh, if you have any questions about any of the information that I provide to you guys, uh, call me um, at uh, 576... Uh, I take that back, 874-5676 if you want to call me in the studio. Um, and uh, 1-800-895-5676 if you're not uh, in the local Columbia area here. So send me an email or give me a buzz if you've got any questions or uh, uh, comments, things that you'd like to get more information on, I'll be glad to provide um, sources for any of the information that I provide for you guys, okay? Okay, um, also, one last thing, the website, www.radioorbit.com. About one more week, and I should have that thing up and running, and, um, and all the programs will be archived there, so if... You don't have the ability or the staying power to be up all night and listen to this program. You can listen to it during the day or any other time, for that matter, any day of the week, anywhere on the planet. You'll be able to listen to those programs archived. Streaming on the web at www.radioorbit.com. And that's only one O in the middle there, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. Okay? All right. Um, Last week, uh, one of the things that I talked about was Hurricane Charlie down in Florida. Now, Hurricane Charlie uh, has basically disappeared from the news. And I had heard uh, some rumors, and there was quite a bit of talk and uh, quite a bit of chat on the web about things being quite a bit, uh, quite a bit worse in Florida than we had been, had been told. And I did a little bit of follow-up on that, and I think it's worth mentioning... Um, uh, to talk a little bit more about that right now. And again, I'm going to qualify this. Uh, I'm not down there. I haven't been there myself. A lot of what I'm, uh, I'm going to tell you next is um, based on observations of uh, people who are down there in Florida right now. But again, uh, they're not official, um, uh, official doc- documents or official reports. So... Keep that in mind. However, there are some uh, official st- statistics that I'm going to mention, and I think that those alone are going to make, um, make a big difference in the way you think about this. So, okay, on the 24th of August, the, um, according to the latest statistics, uh, and this is, um, some of these statistics came from the, uh, uh, from the Red Cross, okay? $7.4 billion in damage so far uh, caused by Hurricane Charlie. Now, now, according to the Red Cross, they estimated uh, as of the 24th that there were 12,019 homes that were destroyed, utterly destroyed, 
Okay, that means they're gone. Uh, they, they, they're no longer standing. They were completely ripped apart. The winds uh, that went through there were between 150 and 175 miles an hour, okay? Um, uh, now, this, uh, that figure of 12,019 homes, that does not include 19,095 other homes that uh, were said to have major damage and are uninhabitable in their present state of, of, uh, of repair. So, so that's over 32,000, almost 33,000 homes um, that, uh, uh, that have damage, and uh, 12,000 of which are completely destroyed. Okay. Now, at, at the same time on October 24, or on August 24th, there were over 5,600, uh, 5,600 homes that they still couldn't even get access to. So we don't know what the deal with those is yet, okay? Now, um, that uh, is crazy, all right, because in Punta Gorda and in Charlotte County, um, many of those people did not evacuate. Uh, there was very little warning there. That storm took a sharp turn. Uh, we know now that some of the radars were actually down at the time. And uh, anyway, the, I guess the big question is, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to, uh, to really speculate um, on how many people uh, may or may not have been affected, but the question is how many of those people were in their homes? Those 12,000 homes that were destroyed, that were utterly destroyed, I mean, flattened, you know, these are not even distinguishable as, any, as, as homes anymore, not to mention the other 20,000 that are uninhabitable. Anyway, how many people stayed in? I mean, how many people hunkered down and tried to ride that out? Now, we're being told that roughly 12 people died from the direct impact of Hurricane Charlie. Um, and a total of like 25 people, but only 12, uh, only 12 that were directly related to the storm. The other 13 or so, we were told, uh, were uh, deaths that were re related to after something that happened after the storm, uh, medical uh, things like that. So, anyway, with all of these homes that were destroyed, it just seems uh, a little bit difficult, though, for me to believe that there were only 25 people that were killed. And uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'll let you guys uh, make your own decision. Um, but if you have friends or family in Florida, uh, it might be worth uh, calling down there and uh, try to get some firsthand uh, uh, accounts of what's really happening down there because it seems there's quite a bit of information that says uh, uh, that there's some strange things happening down there, okay? All right, what's next? Having a little trouble with the microphone here. I'm not sure what's going on, you guys. All right, that's a little bit better. Maybe. Maybe not. Anyway, okay, let's just get on with it here. Uh, Earth changes. Solar effects of... Uh, Solar effects on things like global warming. Okay, I want to talk about this a little bit. There's a lot of talk about global warming and, uh, and the influence of man on global warming and the things that men have done over the years now. And 
one of the things that doesn't get mentioned very often is the sun and the the uh, the relationship to the climate here on planet Earth and the sun. Um, as we've mentioned many times before, the sun is the great, great, great majority of the mass and energy of our entire solar system. And every time the sun goes through a change, it directly affects the planets in the solar system. Uh, so the sun and the energy that that it releases is absorbed by the entire system. And if the energy changes, the system changes. So um, to me, it is obvious that there are environmental changes that are going on on the planet right now and they seem to be intensifying the question is uh, well quite frankly the question isn't is it happening anymore I think it's pretty obvious that it's happening uh, you can come up with examples from all around the planet where weather extremes and environmental extremes seem to be intensifying uh, especially over the last five years or so certainly uh, the last month in Columbia Missouri is a testament to that what's it been an average of about 75 degrees meanwhile in places like Seattle where uh, Kent Stedman is uh, going to be talking to us from early, or a little bit later this evening uh, crazy temperatures 98 uh, you know and things uh, completely different but in any case it's my particular position that the sun is uh, the direct effector of uh, global change and I won't uh, I won't call it global warming either um, I think that it's global change there are parts of the planet that are that are cooling off actually there are other pa parts of the planet planet that are warming up there are parts of the planet that are uh, getting more water the Sahara Desert is seeing an increasing amount of rain every year for the last five years and it seems to be marching northward um, the poles are melting stunning uh, photographs from the North Pole that uh, came out about two weeks ago that show uh, a lot of free free-flowing icebergs up there and clear clear-cut waterways liquid water um, where ice flows are now moving freely in the North Pole now this may sound extreme but in the summertime in the North Pole it's not that unusual to have uh, liquid water um, However, this summer was extreme. There's a tremendous amount of melting going on in the North Pole right now. Now, with regard to that, uh, there was a story uh, that came out in the BBC this week. And uh, it was written by Alex Kirby, one of the environmental um, reporters there. And he writes a story titled, Earth Warned on Tipping Points. And I'm going to read you a little bit of this article, and then we'll comment on it, on a, a comment on it a little bit. The world has barely begun to recognize the danger of setting off rapid and irreversible changes in some crucial natural systems, Professor John Schellenhuber says. Uh, now, John Schellenhuber is uh, he's a research director for the uh, for Britain, the UK's Tyndall Centre uh, for Climate Change Research, and. Um, he says it's very important that uh, that we that we improve our understanding of these risks because um, he believes that these tipping points uh, could change very quickly. And uh, um, he was speaking at the uh, Euroscience Forum in Stockholm, Sweden, 
uh, at a briefing by the International Geosphere Biosphere Program that was entitled Beyond Global Warming, Where on Earth Are We Going? Now, they uh, discuss climate change and global warming um, but again like I said before I'm not too interested in the in the causative side of it anymore I think that it's happening um, I think that the changes are um, obviously in motion now this is not a future uh, these are not future events they are in motion and my personal belief is that they're more affected by the Sun than anything else uh, and I think that man's uh, the Industrial Revolution uh, coinciding with it may be uh, a sort of spurious link. Uh, there may be, man may be having an effect on the environment. Certainly that is the case. Um, I think from a pollution standpoint, uh, certainly. Uh, but I think that we cannot discount what the sun is contributing to, this, uh, to the entire system. So anyway, uh, Professor Schellenhuber, he says a couple of things here. He says, so far he's identified 12 hot spots um, these are areas which act like massive regulators for the Earth's environment, uh, such as the, um, the uh, Asian monsoon being one of those. He says, if these critical regions were subjected to stress, they could trigger large-scale, rapid changes across the entire planet, uh, but not enough is known about them to be able to predict when the limits of tolerance can be reached. So far, we have completely underestimated the importance of these locations, he says. What we do know is that going beyond critical thresholds in these regions could have dramatic consequences for humans and other life forms. Now, he also mentions the West Antarctic Ice Sheet, the Sahara Desert, the forests of the Amazon Basin, um, uh, the Asian Monsoon, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, so there's quite a bit of concern about this uh, going on right now. Now, the real concern or one of the bigger concerns is that it could happen with unforeseen speed. Uh, so what he says is that means we have to know where they are and uh, we have to know uh, what's happening in these areas and we have to know what these limits are. He says scientists have begun to realize that change could be sudden and not gradual. In some cases it could happen within a few decades. Now, of course, that's just speculation again, a few decades. They don't know. It could happen overnight for all we know. Um, and in fact, the story that I'm going to talk to you about after this short break we're going to take sort of uh, highlights that particular point. So we'll be back in a few minutes. This is Mike Hagan, Radio Orbit, and uh, this is Candlebox. Leading through something 
She lays her head down. Do you read all the thoughts that she feeds aloud? She can't. She can't see Box on Radio Orbit, KOPN, 89.5 FM, Columbia. All right, you guys. Uh, all right, before the break, we were talking about a story uh, from the BBC about uh, what a scientist is calling tipping points in the critical areas of planet Earth, uh, such as the, the uh, Atlantic, Gulf Stream, the desert, the Sahara, the rainforest. Uh, what they're calling these are regulators for the planet and quite frankly they don't know how many of them there are or where they all are and what I think they're eventually learning and what they're saying is that the planet is a living system in and of itself and uh, um, as these different parts of the system experience change well radical changes can happen to other parts of the planet so um, to sort of uh, to sort of reinforce that, there's another story that came out this week, and it has to do with the, uh, a, a project in Greenland where they did some very deep ice core samples and uh, uh, cored down almost two miles and found uh, the remains of plant and um, uh, plant remains, grasses and um, pine needles and these sorts of things. Well. It's a long story, and I'm not really going to go into it, but uh, I will read the key article or the key paragraph in the article. And it says, The suspected plant material under about 10,400 feet of ice indicates that the Greenland ice sheet formed very fast, quote-unquote, said NGRIP project leader Dorothy Dahl Jensen, a professor at the University of Copenhagen's Niels Bohr Institute. There is a big possibility that this material is several million years old from a time when trees covered Greenland. Now again, the fact that she says it's seven million years old is speculation on her part, but I do think it's very important that she makes a note 
that it was possible that the changes could have happened very fast. Now, this is something that we've seen in the geological record um, in a number of really strange cases. For example, in the Arctic, we have found um, frozen uh, mammoths, large elephant-like animals that have been basically flash frozen. They're completely intact with fur and uh, their bodies completely intact. In many cases they have been found with flowers, buttercups and such in their mouths and in their stomachs which had yet to be digested. So this is an indication that it was almost a flash freeze and uh, uh, they whatever happened to those happened at a very very uh, a very fast rate so um, now more evidence uh, is, is coming out to show that that's a possibility so the earth is changing there are lots of things that are going on I talked about the North Pole a little bit uh, we've talked about the weather a little bit um, there's uh, plenty of plenty of examples of crazy uh, changes that seem to be occurring all over the planet and this includes volcanism and earthquake activity and um, uh, even atmospheric composition so now uh, we're also seeing changes on many of the other planets in the solar system too over the last few years we've seen changes significant changes on Mars on Jupiter on Uranus um, on Neptune uh, so that's why um, uh, it leads me to believe that the sun is certainly a part of that. And we talked about that earlier in the hour, the, the sun being a direct, direct influence on some of these changes that we may be, uh, may be experiencing on the planet right now. So, okay, uh, I got Kent Stedman on the line. He's going to be with us in just about 10 minutes, but I've got one more story that I want to go over here first. And I also want to... Um, uh, give out the email address again. Uh, Kent and I are both online right now, so if you guys have a question uh, for me that you'd like me to relay to Kent, uh, you can send me a, a note at orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, at AOL.com. That's orbitradio at AOL.com. I'm online right now. I'll be checking my email as uh, as we go along the, the show tonight. And... Um, We'll try to get anything, uh, anything answered if you have some questions or comments for us. Also, uh, the uh, website for Kent is www.cyberspaceorbit.com. That's C-Y-B-E-R-S-P-A-C-E-O-R-B-I-T.com. Cyberspaceorbit.com. Hop onto Orbit and... Uh, uh, follow along. There's some great imagery there always. Artist side really comes out on his website, and there's some uh, always some great imagery there, along with news that you can use. Okay, so check it out, cyberspaceorbit.com, and you can follow along with us as we proceed with the show tonight. Now, I don't want to just uh, talk about all bad news, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll spend a quick minute here talking about. A cool story that came out this week from uh, the Eureka Alert organization. We call this NEMO. We call these NEMO alerts, any of these uh, alternative energy ideas that seem to bear their heads uh, quite frequently, actually, but uh, for whatever reason don't seem to come to fruition often enough. Anyway, here's a big NEMO alert, okay? 
the title of the story says, Vast New Energy Source Almost Here. Solar Hydrogen Fuel. The dream will soon be a reality. Australian scientists predict that a revolutionary new way to harness the power of the sun to extract clean and almost unlimited energy supplies from water will be a reality within seven years. Um, now, I won't go into the details of how they do this, but uh, it's a way to produce hydrogen using the sun um, to split molecular water and that's something that they've been trying to learn how to do for a long time uh, to split water up into its hydrogen and oxygen atoms and uh, and then utilize the hydrogen as a fuel source so um, uh, even though this technology quite frankly is not really new I think that it's shown itself many times in the past um, it is bearing its head again and I'm gonna try to support it and hope hope that uh, uh, that that we can uh, break through, that we can break it through and somehow uh, get these things uh, into, the, into the public domain uh, where it can actually help some people and help the planet and uh, try to level the playing field a little bit so we don't have uh, this incredible uh, fight or comp competition over resources that has plagued humanity uh, our entire uh, over our entire history so anyway uh, back to you in a minute with Kent Stedman from www.cyberspaceorbit.com this is Mike Hagan on Radio Orbit KOPN 89.5 FM and uh, we're doing a little bit of a Seattle thing tonight because Kent's coming to us from Seattle so here's some more music from Seattle, this is Pearl Jam with Yellow Lead Better on Radio Orbit, KOPN. Back in a minute with Ked Stedman.
Pearl Jam. Yellow lead better on KOPN. Radio Orbit, it's 3 a.m. on Sunday morning, July, eh, August 29th. And I'm very pleased to bring my friend Kent Stedman from Cyberspace Orbit onto the program tonight. I think I got you here on the air, Kent. You there? I'm here. Sure zoned out on that music. Yeah, man, great, uh, great music from your stomping grounds out there in Seattle. Yeah, you know, everybody ought to learn to play music, even if it's singing a tune or banging rocks together. Dancing, that's music, too, dancing. You should do it. No kidding. Uh, there's there's something about about the music that's just a universal universal language for sure. I went and saw a great show actually last night um, uh, that uh, was at a, one of the, one of the venues here in town, and just a huge uh, mix up of different people, both on stage and uh, in the audience. And uh, the mu- the music brought everybody together, and uh, it was it was it was really cool. So was it bluesy or folk or what? Actually, it was. Uh, <coughs> Ah, gosh, it's very hard to even explain it, but it's sort of jazz mixed with funk and um, a whole bunch of different st- uh, styles and, and, and music from different periods. These guys would do weird historical stuff from, like, uh, the troubadours in, in Spain, you know, in, the, in, in 1100 A.D. and stuff like that. So oh, man. You would have loved it. It was real cool. They had, they had a bunch of different uh, funky instruments, and uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. They're called, they're called BCR, and they've actually been around for quite a while, so... Anyway, um, like I said, okay, you guys, uh, Kent Stedman with us tonight. Pleasure to have Kent with us on the program. He was supposed to be here last week, but had some uh, uh, personal issues that he had to deal with. And um, But we got him here tonight. And when, uh, when Kent is on the program, we kind of like to set it up like we're having a little camp out, camping out around the, the pot belly stove and spinning some yarns. And uh, we're going to do that tonight with yeah. Kent. And uh, I'll uh, I'll let him uh, uh, kind of set the stage for that. We'll have some good music for you guys mixed in in between, and we're going to be talking about lots of different stuff. Um, and uh, we'll just kind of see where it goes, as we always do. So, anyway, what's uh, what's happening, Kent? What's what's up these days? Well, kind of in between a honky tonk and a cosmic mood. <laughs> so, everybody, now listen. Uh, when we were little kids, we used to dream a lot, right? And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll verify the fact that when you get old, <laughs> your dreams start returning again. It's what you call galloping senility, I suppose. <laughs> so anyway, with the power of the dream, now let's picture ourselves sitting around an old pot belly stove. When I was a kid, they still had them in Utah where I grew up. They still had Myers Market had a pot belly, and people would come in and do their shopping, especially in the wintertime. And draw up to the pot belly stove and exchange some tales and stories and talk about the weather. So that's uh, let's do that. So everybody out there, uh, picture yourself dragging a, an old cane chair up to the pot belly stove and warming up a little bit, and that'll set the mood for us to maybe tell, spin some wild yarns and tell some tell some tales here. All right. All right. That sounds good. Um, uh, where uh, where should we start tonight? You know, I was talking a little bit before uh, before we brought you on the air about some of the changes that are happening on the planet, and uh, it seems every week there's more and more stories. Uh, I only touched on a couple of them tonight, but um, uh, I mean, just the weather alone here in Missouri, where we live, Kent, it's uh, it's been 
uh, the month of August is nearly over, and I think that we've had maybe one day, maybe two days that have been over 90 degrees, and many, many days that were in the 70s. Uh, just really, really cool weather when it's usually hotter than blazes, you know. Um, so I don't know. What do you what do you, what do you see happening? Well, see, it ain't all that bad, then, is it? <laughs> no, I mean that's what I say. I I actually don't call it global warming. I I I just think that there are just a lot of changes going on. I mean, some places are cooling, some places are warming, some places are getting more water, some places are drying out. I mean, it's just these incredible changes that seem to be occurring just everywhere. And I don't know if if you call it war. I wouldn't just call it warming. I'd say it's just man, just changes in general. Well, we got Francis. See, Francis, she can pull her chair up by the part, belly stove. Gaston, Gaston, is that the name of the other? In South Carolina, suddenly a tropical storm decided to get it together, pull it together, and is going to hit South Carolina pretty hard. And that storm, Francis, man, it's at what level four already? Now, you know, I I've, I was uh, talking about Charlie a little bit earlier, but to be honest, I've been so I've been so uh, absorbed with what's been going on out. Above and beyond the planet, I haven't even been watching the weather systems. What? Tell me what's happening with uh, in in the in the oceans. Well, uh, come to cyberspaceorbit.com and you can look at it yourself. And a picture is worth a thousand words. But there's this this uh, Hurricane Francis. I think it's topping out. Last I heard, it's a 4.0 already, and it's still out in, in the Caribbean. Oh, with a lot of warm water between it and its trajectory, and it's, it's bearing uh, west northwest. Uh, uh, <laughs> look out, Florida! Here we come. It oh, may turn man. north. May turn north, scoot all the way up and hit New York City. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, right for the RNC, huh? Well, it's weird, you know. Charlie, uh, Charlie made a made a real. Uh, a bizarre sharp turn right towards uh, uh, you know right right as it sort of impacted on the Florida coast there and uh, like it hit a wall or like I mean it's it's weird there's certainly some uh, some arguments uh, from people who are saying that these things might even be being directed and of course it's real difficult to prove something like that but uh, uh, with with the ideas of scalar uh, technologies and um, uh, weather manipulation uh, that we know that the Russians were involved with uh, earlier, many, actually a few decades ago now in the 70s and the 80s. Who knows what's happening with these storms? Well, click on uh, on my website. Now, that's, uh, see, that's, I'm real visual, and so I've got this slow-loading website with lots of pictures. Because <laughs> I'm an artist, and uh, I want to see stuff, and I'm trying to make uh, some of the more etheric ideas plainly seen but if you click on hurricane you'll see you go back to isabel that was it remember that holy cow was isabel the the eye had, of <laughs> had the friggin pentagram in it or the something eye of right isabel had a like a, a you know how you draw a little star with one of the stroke of a pencil z- 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 had a like a five-pointed star in its nucleus yeah i'll never forget that when <laughs> we saw that satellite image we're like my god there's a pentagram in the middle of that hurricane that was strange. It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Of course, we've seen some wild geometries that uh, show up on some of these radars and um, and in the eyes of storms and things and on the sun and in space. Uh, uh, so, um, boy, just a lot of a lot, a lot of questions about that stuff, and I don't know what else to say about it. So we had a tornado touchdown here in the West Coast up in the Sierras. It's something like. 7,000 feet. <laughs> the Sierras is the highest elevation tornado ever observed in the U.S. Holy cow. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that we're uh, that we're seeing, and and um, and it's happening all over the planet. I mean, uh, th- th- those images from the North Pole, uh, you know, that came out a couple of weeks ago, were just, to me, I mean, those were mind-bending um, to see how much liquid water is actually up there at the pole now. Um, and I and I understand, I realize that in the summertime up there, uh, it is not unusual to have liquid water. But to the extent that I saw it, look, and, and what I'm reading, it seems that it's pretty extreme. So. I got this uh, emailer sent me a message here. He says, uh, "He says I just had to share this with you." He says, "Somebody in my office told me that his neighbors wanted a leisurely adventure holiday somewhere different and booked with a travel agent to go to Iceland." <laughs> the travel agent and all the literature said they needed warm winter clothing and also waterproof gear, as it might rain. Their fortnight holiday was spent under blue skies. Brilliant sunshine and the temperature, there was a sizzling 28 degrees centigrade. Now, that's about 84-something Fahrenheit. The worst part was that they spent a fortune buying summer clothes and ended up getting badly sunburned. (laughs) They had not bothered to take protective suntan lotion, obviously, and the local shops there do not sell it and never have because there is no call for it, apparently. <laughs> oh my God! Global warming or what? No wonder the ice is melting. Wow. Yeah, you know, I've actually been to Iceland. You have? <laughs> yeah, I went there in 1984. I stopped over there uh, on on my first trip to Europe, actually, and it was one of the coldest freaking places. <laughs> I got off the plane because I wanted to say that I had actually been. Um, I went around. Reykjavik, I think, is where we landed, and and I, w- I went to a little pub and had a beer. They actually have a beer there called Polar Bear Beer, and uh, I had a Polar Bear Beer and walked back to the airport to the plane, and uh, yeah, I was there. And uh, if that place is 84 degrees, I mean, it's certainly different than I when when I was there 20 years ago because it was it was probably about. 10 or 12 degrees. <laughs> All I know is I had a college roommate up there, and he went up there because he says the most beautiful women in the world live in Iceland. <laughs> oh, man. Well, maybe they're not wearing as much these days. <laughs> so, anyway, well, yeah, uh, lots of lots of changes going on, and, and um, really, really... Uh, not much you can do to explain it. You know, they try to put together these, these models with... Um, uh, with uh, computer programs to try to model these weather systems and the changes that may or may not take place. But I've maintained for a long time that uh, the the system is just too sophisticated and no computer model is going to um, accurately predict uh, to any great degree, in my opinion, um, uh, the the future scenario. I, I I just believe too much in the whole butterfly effect sort of idea, and I think that uh, I think that there are just too damn many variables in these equations, and that uh, we're we're just going to see where this thing goes. I don't think anybody really knows. Well, you know, it re- you know what this reminds me of a uh, uh, Terence McKenna. Oh, Terence. <laughs> you know his model of the cosmos, and which goes something like uh, there is no real fundamental underlying. Judeo-Christian <laughs> law that uh, that uh, we try to impose upon it to make everything uh, uh, spin around a fulcrum, you know. But rather, it might instead the universe might seek novelty. Mm-hmm. 
and the earth too. And I, I, I listened to your lead in about the guy about the mammoth mm-hmm. <laughs> freezing instantly. You know, they served a mammoth steak to the Tsar of Russia. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, there are just so many events that uh, uh, out there are kind of on the edges of things, out the front door and down the road a little bit. And if you look over the horizon just a little bit, uh, it's strange. And uh, it makes me wonder if uh, the ancient Norse god Loki has a, has a hand in things because, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, there can be sudden changes and catastrophic changes. For instance, the sun could suddenly get all fired up and blast a coronal mass ejection of great intensity at us, and who knows what might happen if if, if we got really nailed with one of those X-48. You know, we had an X-48 flare last October. If something like that nailed us dead center, uh, you know what would it do? What would it do to us? What would it do to you? Would it uh, just give us a bad sunburn, or would it format our brains? <laughs> because you know we're electromagnetic beings, and that's kind of uh, the soul. I'd like you know we're sitting around the pot belly stove. Uh, let me ask everybody out there a question: Have any have any of you ever seen a UFO? U F Oh. Wow. Have any of us ever seen a UFO? I think Kent that we're going to let uh we're going to let the listeners think on that for a second and um and get their websites open to cyberspaceorbit.com. That's www.cyberspaceorbit.com and uh, think about that question for a minute you guys and uh I'm going to give you a, a little bit of music to help you uh to help you think about it, and Kent and I will be back in about five minutes. Um, but uh, this is a good good chance to take a little break here, and um, and we'll come back and we'll talk about UFOs with Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. Come see the vampires of New York. Somebody say I think 
she's already dead and maybe she's gone to Mars Maybe we could even write her epitaph in the stars You'd say if you go away from here If you go Marcy Playground on yeah. KOPN Radio Orbit. That's a that's another Seattle band, Kent. They're called Marcy Playground. That was a song called "The Vampires of New York." Yikes! <laughs> yeah, there's some vampires in New York this week for sure. Uh, so that's why I can't play that. Well, um, spacing around a little bit, you know, we had the, the World Trade Organization. Oh God. Uh, protest here in Seattle, and that was a sight to behold, because... When was that, Kent? That was like 99, oh, man, wasn't it? I, I lose track of time. Yeah, I think it was 1999. But uh, you people up in New York, and now you watch out, see, because what we saw happening here was a lot of guys dressed up in masks <laughs> and bandits, and they were called anarchists. Mm -hmm. And they'd go around throwing bricks through windows, and the cops would just turn away from them, go spray the poor kids sitting there in the ground. Protest. Yeah, so it makes you wonder, you know, whose whose payroll those guys were on. Yeah, there was quite a bit of talk of the so-called agent provocateur uh, sort of thing happening, and not just in Seattle. And we saw it happen in Florida um, and uh, in uh, in Genoa. So. Well, anyway. Okay. Well, hey, look. We were... I want to ask this. I want to ask this question, and I'm really asking eagerly, earnestly. Because I don't know the answer totally. But well, you has have anybody ever seen a UFO? <laughs> I well, have. Let, yeah, let's, let's ask you that question because um, uh, let, let, let's get your perspective on it. Um, because I think that, I think that we, uh, let's frame it with your idea. And then we may actually open the phones. And if anybody wants to call in here a little bit later, I'll open the phones up a little bit later. And we'll see if anybody uh, has their own perspective. So what do you, what do you think? Have, have you ever seen one? I mean, literally, have you ever seen a UFO? Oh, yeah. Well, ever since I was a little kid, I've been having uh, experiences, UFO experiences. And it started out when I was real little. And uh, for years and years, I've been carrying it in my head as kind of some kind of lucid dream. I'm not quite sure. It's like there's a veil over it, you know. But we were playing outside. I used to live at the foot of a really spectacular mountain called Mount Olympus <laughs> in the Wasatch Range has two perfectly symmetrical peaks and there's something mysterious about that mountain I was in Salt Lake a, a week ago and the, the old people they did you know when they can't walk or move around too much anymore they like to sit in their chairs by the bay window and just stare at that mountain right well anyway it was I, I recall Here's what happened. I recall like a whole flotilla of uh, saucer-like ships came for, over the, the mountain ranges to the east, 
Like, 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 give me an idea, like five of them? Or yeah, five or six. Well, more, more, more. Wow. Lots of them. Okay. But what happened is that myself, I had five little brothers, and uh, I'm not sure they were all hatched in, but a good four or five of us were out playing on the uh, lawn, playing uh, hide and seek, <laughs> which we used to like to do in the summertime. Right, sure. And... Uh, well, these things came right over our head and freaked us out. And the, what 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 my brothers and I did, according to my recollection, I was a, oh, 11 or 12, 13. Okay. We ran inside the house, and we hid in a place that my dad had constructed a store folding chair. Okay. This is like under the kitchen table, sort of a wraparound bench. We hid in there, and they found us. <laughs> these beings Sheesh. who who in my recollection looked like the ant people you know the little guys the big headed took us out in the backyard and parked out in our backyard which is a sizable backyard <laughs> was about a uh, 15 20 foot humming craft floating just barely above the ground and then uh, my, uh, then I have a brain quirk because I can't remember exactly what happened but the weird thing was is way into my adulthood I decided to finally lay it on my brothers <laughs> really so you wanted to ask them if they recalled something similar or whatever yeah so I asked uh, I asked all of them I said what about that you know right. where we was that a collected dream or right. what happened and you guys hadn't talked about it in between at all? No. Not until you... Not, how old were you? I mean, how many years later was it? I was in my 40s. Holy cow, so it was 20, 30 years later. Yeah. And, uh, uh, man, was I surprised. Uh, like, my middle brother, uh-huh. uh, he, he, said, he said, not only do I remember it, but he told me more. He said, the whole neighborhood... Looking down the row of houses to the left and to the right, people were filing out of their houses toward these park craft. And he said he hid and didn't go in, but he said the rest of us, his family, including mom and dad, went into those engines or machines, he called them. Holy cow. And then another one of my brothers uh, pulled that memory out, too. So, very strange. So right off the bat, back in in the ozone, back when I was a little kid, and, you know, frankly, kids live sort of 50% in the real world and 50% in their dream world, so it was hard for me to get closure on all this. But since then, much, much more has happened. When... uh, And for me, here's what it's like. It's, It's like... The UFO phenomenon almost seems like a secondary thing for me. What do you mean? What do you mean by secondary thing? Well, uh, imagine listening to really beautiful, inspiring music, and you sort of get a chill up and down your spine. Oh yeah, I can I can imagine that. And sitting around the pot belly stove here, like we are, you know, we might be getting chills up and down our spine. Right, right, right. And and but. Uh, amplify that whole feeling like a hundred times <laughs> to where it becomes a real energy 
electromagnetic pulsation that builds and builds and builds in, in kind of a cadence, like jumping on a trampoline, it gets more powerful and more powerful. Like a vibration of sorts? Yeah, a vibration and a literally electrical. L, the L, we'll talk about the L in a little while. An electrical sensation comes first. Okay, okay. And then after that seems to uh, appear the UFO or the entity or other. And uh, that later when I was a teenager, uh, I camped, uh, I hiked up in, on this Twin Peak Mountain called Mount Olympus. I was kind of disturbed, a lot of changes going on in my life. And so I, I walked up this canyon called Hughes Canyon. If you look at my, I've got all this plastered all over my my, my website because, you know, I came on the Internet to try to get some answers to all this stuff. Right. I'm, actu I'm actually at the website right now. and uh, I even got, I found a picture of the exact... I'm looking at, at that, it's like that little cave uh, area above that waterfall. That's the exact place. It's wow. A, it's a, a, a serpentine canyon that goes up this Mount Olympus and, uh, you know, you go up miles and there's a, a waterfall in it. Well, gosh, it was early. Hey, uh, Ken, let me let me let me give out the website address real fast again. Yeah. I want people to see this. Um, uh, you guys, you got to check this out. Um, go to triple uh, w cyberspaceorbit.com if you're just tuning in c-y-b-e-r-s-p-a-c-e-o-r-b-i-t.com um, I'm talking to Kent Steadman and he's relating um, one of his experiences uh, and you gotta uh, if, if you, if you want to sort of follow along with some of the stuff uh, that he's got posted on the website some of these images are really really cool so anyway uh, check it out cyberspaceorbit.com okay sorry Kent uh, Get get uh, get right back into it. Okay, here. The, it goes like this, and it, it was early spring, and I, you know, I was just feeling this intensity inside of me, and I had to get away from college. I was in college at the time. I had to get away from my girlfriend who was driving me crazy. <laughs> and so I went up in this canyon, and I uh, camped right above that waterfall. I just took a single blanket with me. It got cold up there. I had to heat up stones at night and circle them around me to keep warm. <laughs> right. But. Uh, uh, I, about the third night, here it came. And like I say, it, this is the primary sensation that I'm trying to describe. It, it began with sort of a chilling up the spine, and then it built in, in intensity. Woomba, woomba. And uh, it flattened me right down. I couldn't move. Pinned me to the ground. It sounds a little bit like the, uh, like the Kundalini experience. Yes. The, the the rising serpent of serpentine energy from the from the through the spine sort of and it's some, sometimes accompanied by uh, or at least reported to be accompanied by that sort of vibrational buzzing sort of thing that you're talking about. Well, it, it, it in a way, uh, you know, the Kundalini, which I think I have yes occasionally experienced. Is also represents at least for me some sort of contact with the environment because when it's happening, it feels as though uh, part of it is from an external source, like it descends on you. Here you are minding your own business, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, this field of energy descends upon you from elsewhere, 
almost. Hmm. Uh, it's hard to tell. I mean, it's, it's like splitting hairs. You can't tell what's inside sometimes or what's outside. Uh, exotic creatures that we are. <laughs> right. But uh, anyway, it flattened me down and uh, 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 it terrified me because, you know, it felt it felt like I was being destroyed. You know, not just dying. Mm-hmm. But being annihilated, that's what it felt like. And yet there was a kind of curiosity, too. I wanted to let it go and <laughs> see what would happen. <laughs> well, anyway, it got to a point where literally it was like a burning, burning, electrical burning sensation. I thought I was just going to, woof, be gone. And something in me welled up inside and pushed it off. Hmm. Right at... Uh, at a critical terminal, point or something. terminal point. Huh. And uh, <clears throat> I didn't see UFOs at that time. I, in fact, didn't need to because this itself was even more dramatic. You know? hmm. It was the first time, really, that I had a very intimate, ingrained experience of the other. Ken, how... How old, again, do you think you were when that happened? I was about 18. Or about 18. So it was about, it, I mean, I, I just, just for time frame here, it, it was at, at least six, seven years, something like that, after that sort of original sort of dream-like experience that you, mm-hmm. that, okay. This was not, now there are different, you, you can kind of classify your perceptual experiences right. in a 24-hour from the dream state to the, to the not dream state. This was the not the dream state. This is wide awake. Right, right. It was almost super, like a super awareness. Weird. But uh, now the deal is, is that over the years into my young adulthood, I graduated from college. I moved down to California to teach college down there. And during that time I was down there, this sensation would repeat itself every once in a while. And... Uh, the set and setting seemed to be like you had to be sober, you had to be fully aware, but you had to kind of be surrendered in a state, in a sense, you know, to let it, for it to happen. And it would come back, this cadence, pulsating, pulsing electrical sensation. And as it happened again and again and again, many times, I began to get more familiar with it and more... Uh, it became more tolerable. I, I got used to it. <laughs> right, right, right. And then it peaked. And then it peaked. Something happened. Something that really changed me forever happened. You know, it, it also um, reminds me of sort of the classic shamanic experience. Um, I mean, just the way, the way you describe the sort of... Um, meeting with the other that sort of well like death almost you described it as an almost a complete annihilation um or a you know a destruction of yourself and that that's something that is uh relayed oftentimes in the in the in the classic shamanic experience well um Yes, uh, but what felt like annihilation when I when I was 18, let me emphasize, became more and more uh, even pleasurable to the point where I didn't mind anymore when it happened because it 
it gave me it kind of yeah it took me out of myself and gave me a contact with the unknown so and I began to enjoy that sensation but but it peaked it peaked and and, uh, and become became an out of body experience for me in about mid 70s do you think that um when you overcame it or 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 were now able to utilize it without being um without being manipulated by it so to speak do you think that it was an issue of of fear of getting over that fear of the unknown and once you accepted it or whatever and got through the fear then all of a sudden it became sort of more like a tool as opposed to this thing that was threatening yes but uh, you know it wasn't a thing where I, I had to keep telling myself I'm not going to be afraid I'm not going to be afraid it, uh -huh. it's just sort of as it repeated itself it became more tolerable i see i see now when i'm afraid i allow myself to get afraid <laughs> right 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 that's but, part of being uh, human what happened is i was sitting in my farmhouse out in east of fresno one day and the sensation began sitting in my easy chair and uh awake you know but contemplating right and somewhat you know surrendered and uh uh, suddenly, I the sensation came, and suddenly I became aware of the fact that there were uh, some figures around me, some beings. Okay. They seemed tall, slender. I can't remember the specific details of their appearance, but they seemed familiar, almost ancestral. They weren't. They were. They weren't as much. They weren't that alien. Right, but like different, I knew them. but different from the sort of uh, insect-like uh, features of the of of the, of the creatures that you saw when you were younger. Yeah, okay. yes, they were tall, more humanoid, but okay. not quite. <laughs> you know, not quite. But they said, "Now is the time," and I was quite blown away when I got on the internet and found other people that that have heard that exact, precise same phrase. Now is the time. Really? Yeah. And uh, and then what happened is that I I disengaged from my body, pulled out of it, went through the house. Me, my body was back there, just some sort of incidental shell back there. And I went out the back door, which was closed. I <laughs> went outside, was levitating off the ground, but I was still seeing familiar things like the tree next to my back porch and the and the orchards around me and the, and the back of the house and the, uh, the colors were a little more distinct and more vibrant and I was, you know, levitating. Uh, but that didn't seem all that strange either because I've flown around in my dreams and that's kind of what it felt like. Okay, all right. I can, I can, I can relate to that. I've had some lucid dream experiences where I've been able to fly and, I, boy, I wish I could repeat it every night. If I was able to, I would do it. And, in fact, uh, I, uh, I know there are techniques to try to, to, to be able to do that more uh, frequently, but in any case, a, a great experience. So. Yeah, I don't know how to do it when it happens. It's happened twice to me. Well, anyway, you know, uh, uh, at that point when I was out there, uh, it seemed to occur in my mind that from there I could jump even further, and I thought, oh, boy, maybe, <laughs> maybe I can really take a, get off the earth. Right, right. But... Uh, uh, the answer was no. <laughs> now was not the time no, to do it. And, you know, it's an answer that just occurred 
very like a voice. Gosh, Kent, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a, a real quick story, and then and then we'll take a break. This is a we'll take a break in just a minute here. You know, um, when when I got married, uh, Ashley and I went to uh, we went to France and to uh, to Spain for our honeymoon, and when we were in Paris, uh, we were in a hotel and. Uh, this is the only time this has ever happened to me, but um, I was laying in our hotel bed, and I was sort of in that hypnagogic sort of state in between being asleep and awake, just sort of like you were talking about. And I don't know what happened, but bang, all of a sudden, uh, I, and I didn't have... Um, I didn't have really, at least to my recollection, I didn't have the vibrational sort of uh, um, uh, electronic experience or electrical sort of experience that you did. But I tell you what, with in a, in a split second, I was out. I was physically aware that I was I was not in my body, and I was I went straight up and um, was sort of looking down f- over the city of Paris, you know. And uh, I mean, perfectly, perfectly, uh, lucidly, right? Right. And I saw it. I, I saw, and, and I was sort of just flying around. And I did the same thing. I thought for a minute, can I blow out of here, you know? And the minute I thought it, I didn't get a response or anything like that, like you did. I didn't have anyone tell me, you know, or I didn't have a voice or anything. But bang, I snapped and I was back in my body within, you know, just as fast as, as I was gone. And uh, I've never experienced anything like it. I still, I've read quite a bit about out-of-body experiences now, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to try to do a show with a guy uh, who, who, regardless. But anyway, just the weirdest thing, but uh, I can't explain it. Well, the first question, uh, have you ever seen a UFO? One thing I want to mention before you take a break is throughout all this in my wake-up world, yeah, me and myself and friends and uh, witnesses and everything, yeah, we were seeing UFOs around uh, Fresno and up around the, the east of Fresno up along Pine Ridge, up where the, you know, the foothills of the mountains mm-hmm. were seeing UFOs, but they seem somehow involved with the total ball of wax here. And so back to the question, which we'll come back to for all of us to examine. Have you ever seen a UFO? Right. Maybe they're here all the time, and it's a perceptual thing, and you've got to be able to, and, the, and, the, and you break through, and then, uh, then your perception, you actually become aware of them. <laughs> they seem twined in with, intertwined in with the, with the whole experience. Yeah, there's something, uh, there's definitely some sort of a connection there. Okay, uh, everybody, we'll be back in about uh, four or five minutes with Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit and David Bowie. Like on a rough face, waiting for the sign, ricochet. The world is on the corner, waiting for jobs, ricochet, ricochet.
All right, David Bowie with Ricochet. That's from the Let's Dance album that was released. Oh, gosh, I don't, I don't even know. It had to be late 80s, early 90s. But um, uh, that's actually Stevie Ray Vaughan uh, playing guitar, Kent. I don't, I don't know if you knew that, but um, Stevie Ray played uh, for David Bowie for a brief period of time and uh, before he sort of took off on his own. So anyway... Uh, anyway. back, back to uh, Kent Stedman here from cyberspaceorbit.com. Um, we'll do another 10 minutes or so, Kent, uh, before the top of the hour, but let's just keep going right where we were, so take it from there. Well, I talked about uh, uh, UFOs maybe being a secondary phenomenon that for me has been prefaced by uh, more of an electromagnetic phenomenon of some I, sort. It's kind of right. like a download in a way. Okay. It doesn't feel like it's totally coming from within you know mm -hmm. it feels like it's descending from without but uh, somehow like you're like a tuning fork you know you, you sort of Whoa. you ring to it you know you, you just said something that I need to interject real fast um, some of the uh, the brain research that I'm doing uh, currently um, the neurological stuff that I'm uh, that I've been researching is showing that some of the most recent uh, uh, some of the most recent research is showing that the brain really isn't this uh, um, at least primarily a storage device. It is, uh, you know, we have memory and those things are actually stored in these different neural uh, uh, these these neural packages of neurons and they're connected to all these other packages of neurons and all that stuff but in any case the primary function is what a lot of these new guys are saying is that the brain acts more as a translator or as sort of a receiver um, and is able to access different fields of intelligence that are non-local right there's the mm -hmm. whole idea of quantum uh, uh, quantum physics um, has kind of gone into the, the realm of brain research and they're saying that the brain is actually sort of like a tuning fork and, and when you tune to that right uh, frequency you then have access to that particular field of intelligence and the savant so I think my mic cut off there for a minute Kent but um, anyway tap that sucker hit it with a yeah, hey <laughs> All right, maybe yeah, but, any, but anyway, uh, I think there's some some biological and scientific evidence to show that that's um, that that what you describe might actually be a physiological phenomenon that we can explain, or that we're getting close to at least understanding. Well, folks, uh, sitting around the pot belly stove here, we're talking about weird stuff. But you know, what happens to us intimately is something we should be talking about around this here pot belly stove because it's it's our freedom it's our basic freedom and our right and that sometimes these taboos come down from us from the powers to be that say you're supposed to think this way or you're supposed to think that way right but these things happen and and it's for me this OBE happened again which brings up the brain sort of because the whole it's like I, I went for a period of about two weeks going what the, you know kind of disoriented and wondering uh, what level of reality or realities was really going on and uh, so it happened again <laughs> so it happened again I've had other people say that sometimes these things happen twice okay and uh, it was the same basic voice starting from the same place in my old 
dilapidated farmhouse in Sanger, California, and I was sitting there again, and the electrical pulsation came back again, and this time, you know, I could see through my closed eyes, which was a trip, you know, I had to check that out, <laughs> I'd open them, then I'd close them, and I could see through them. Right. And then the next thing you know, boink, I was out again, and I went out basically the same path as though I had to repeat it all over again. And I was out floating around my backyard, and this time, you know, I spiritually quested, uh, asked the question, you know, can, from here can I leap further? Because I was aware that you could. Okay. And <clears throat> by golly, by gum, if it didn't happen, you know, I I left Earth, and it was like, moving upward into the sky but passing through a kind of membrane. Hmm. Now, the only physical experience I might suggest is like floating on a pool of water, only the pool, the, the, the plane was uh, up and down and vertical. And, and uh, it was like going through this membrane and then after passing through that mem membrane, a lot of formless light, very pleasurable, hmm. not unpleasant experience. And I was gone I don't know how long. I'm unsure. Because the next thing I knew, uh, you know, one would at, might ask himself the question, uh, am I dead? <laughs> I, never, I was never troubled by any of that. There was no fear. It was... It was uh, in fact, wonderful. But uh, the next thing I knew, I was back in my uh, chair and feeling quite heavy and uh, hard to get my body working again. It's like I'd wiggle a finger and then I'd wiggle my arm, and then it took quite a while to get to get back to to a full 3D physical consciousness. But now here's where the brain failed me. My brain is incapable of interpreting where I went. Huh. It's like I can remember the threshold experience. Right. You know, going through the membrane and then lots of light, you know. Light is an interesting phenomenon philosophically, you know, it's <sighs> what we see the transitional point. You know, at the speed of light, everything changes. Right. And that's what it felt like. It felt like that light itself was the threshold. But then well, well, trying to come back and pull out, uh, you know, binary sentence structures and right. memories and so on is impossible. And that's what keeps me asking the question, you know, mm. have you ever seen a UFO? Right. Some people say, for instance, that when they've had that contact experience, they went up into a UFO. Right. Actually, I don't remember that. Yeah, actually or, being inside a craft, in other words. Yes, but, you know, ever since I was a child, I've had repeated lucid dreams of being aboard a craft and meeting again those visitors of my childhood and being familiar with them. And in fact, being inside a craft and sitting in a kind of amphitheater situation. I thought I'd throw these out in case it rings a bell with anybody else. Sitting in an amphitheater with an E.T. Uh, <laughs> up on the stage saying, well... This is what's happening, you know, and, and giving instruction as to where we were and what we were doing. And these ETs seem to be more like the gray type of ET. Uh, they're not really scary to me. No, they don't seem like demonic creatures or anything. 
Right. In fact, they seem almost cetacean in a way. When I say cetacean, that brings up the imagery of the dolphin or the whale, you know. Right. Uh, 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 not un- totally unfriendly, but not quite, you know, alien to some extent. Right, right, right. And there are, uh, you know, plenty of corroborating reports that there, uh, that if we are being visited, or if, or if there are these different species that are in some different uh, uh, phase or different anyway here, but not here or whatever, that there are different species of them as well. And why not? I guess uh, um, it wouldn't. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm myself. I'm starting to, to, to change my perspective. Where almost there really is no such thing as the alien. <laughs> it's sort of uh, heck. We don't know half of the life forms that are still around on this planet. You know what I mean? Every day they're discovering. I, I read a wild story about discovering these new species at the bottom of this deep trench in the ocean and things that, of course, that they couldn't couldn't even believe what they found completely unexpected and so the alien kind of falls into this realm of the unknown i guess but other than that i mean there's everything well, that happens amongst humans too. right, right, right. <laughs> yes and i mean guys with baseball caps mistrust guys with turbans you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. so that, right, that right, we're right. very we're very edgy as a species about all that, that xenophobia is that what they call yes it? they call it xenophobia exactly and, you know uh, someone outside the family or the tribe, or you know, right, at right. fields and the coins shooting it out. Yeah, well, that's that, that's that's one of our current uh, one of our current challenges, I think, to get to get over that. And I think the stuff you're talking about tonight is actually, uh, like you say, it's stuff that we need to be talking about because these are these are human experiences, and we know that you are not alone. That you're not the only one that's had these experiences. Like you say, you went out on the web looking for answers, and I think you may have uh, got a little bit more than you bargained for, but you certainly found some answers. I think. Well, I thought I was all alone in all this. Right. And man, I. Come on the internet, and I found a hundred people immediately right, <laughs> that were talking about the same thing. And some of these people I've gotten to know quite well, and uh, you know, I've visited some of them and uh, went to New York to meet some of them. And uh, these are people involved with the Montauk phenomenon. Hey, uh, Kent, let's let's talk about that New York experience uh, at the top of the hour. That's a great story, I think. And then. Um, and then we'll 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 see where we'll see where it goes from there. But let's talk about Mon- the Montauk a little bit and about what happened when you did that little New York trip. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, it's uh, uh, 3:55 a.m. and you are listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It is community radio, and uh, it's KOPN serving Columbia and the surrounding areas in mid-Missouri here. My guest is Kent Stedman of, uh, from www.cyberspaceorbit.com. Uh, go check out the website. We've been talking about a lot of things that are related there uh, on, uh, on his site and having a great conversation with Kent tonight. We'll be back in about uh, four or five minutes uh, to continue with Kent's uh, Stories about aliens and UFOs and all kinds of wacky stuff. And we're going to go to New York next, so hang with us.
Ben Folds 5 on uh, Radio Orbit. I'm here with Kent Stedman and uh, having a great conversation, as always, with Kent. So, all right, Kent, we were talking about uh, you were heading to New York City and uh, and uh, something went down. What happened when you went there? Well, uh, like I say, I met a lot of people like myself uh, by way of the Internet. And, you know, uh, there are, in fact, I got a glimmer of this when I was teaching uh, college, I had these classes with like 200 people in them. Right. Uh, good, good place to take a survey. And I just uh, all of a sudden I'd be talking about art history, you know. And then I'd suddenly <laughs> pop in and say, "Excuse me, how many of you have seen a UFO?" <laughs> and they'd be shocked. But a few hands would go up in a class of uh, 200. I always got five or six hands right. falteringly go up. And then I'd ask the question. Uh, well, then, uh, how many of you have seen a UFO but don't want to admit it? <laughs> and then a whole bunch more. And so really? I'd say in a class of 200, there'd always be about 10 people <laughs> that would uh, that would uh, uh, admit to it. And some gave even wilder tales of them spouting off here, too. Right. But anyway, the same thing coming on the Internet, I met all these people very seriously involved in UFO research. In fact, they hauled me back to a, a little town called Point Lookout in the, on the uh, uh, Long Island. Okay. And here was a handful of people, all adults now in their 40s and 50s, 
uh, that had, when they were youth, uh, sort of a YMCA camp. They camped up by an old abandoned uh, Air Force base called Camp Hero right. at Montauk. And uh, during the course of events over one or two nights, they suddenly lost a lot of time, you know. And then after that, over the years, as though they had a screen memory about it all, they it began to trickle back. And what trickled back was quite frightening to them. And this brings up another uh, aspect of the UFO phenomenon, because somebody on Earth uh, maybe be tweaking some of these. Hmm. Maybe, um, maybe you can explain a little bit about Montauk uh, and and what the why that might be significant. Some of the listeners might not be familiar with the history there. Well. Uh, the history is that there uh, quite a bit of cutting-edge advanced research went on up there, um, and uh, as a result, uh, they seem to have made some, what should I call it, Stargate breakthroughs, which involves mind technology interface and involving uh, uh, several devices that would, in fact, they speak of the chair. <laughs> Sound like an electric chair. The chair, you know, that right, uh, right. somehow uh, in this device it would amplify uh, 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 the perceptual awareness somehow again through an electromagnetic field. Now that, of course, and uh, as a result, some of these kids got kind of got yanked aside and put through a series of uh, uh, blind experiments where they expose them to some of these. Uh, uh, fields of energy, and uh, which basically, by most accounts, and I met these people. I mean, you got lawyers. Point Lookout is a little Irish fishing village, but uh, you know, there's the lawyer and the town drunk and the uh, and the uh, flower sales girl salesmen all were in that group, and they came together at a conference there, and I got to meet them all. And yeah. Uh, Point Lookout itself is a very all of New York for me for the country bumpkin I guess even though I live in Seattle I'm basically a country guy in heart but all of New York is real strange to me because you've got these quaint little villages almost like the Truman Show with people walking around with baby carriages and jumping on pogo sticks the kids you know <laughs> <laughs> like Main Street Disneyland and then uh, at the same time you've got these weird black helicopters which I saw with my own eyes patrolling up and down the beaches and, and then I went into the city and it felt the same way to me like there was everything was under kind of like a cheese goblet Huh. <clears throat> well, you know, it's it, it's weird. There, the um, I was talking to Phyllis Galdi. She's the lady that uh, that runs uh, uh, Fate Magazine, and she was telling me stories of friends of hers that, like in the seventies, uh, had been in New York City, and literally seen um, a UFO, I guess, for the lack of a better description, just hovering right over the city of New York. Yeah. And 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 a number of people saw it, and and we're like, we're kind of looking at everybody else, like, well, how come nobody else is recognizing this or sees this? And uh, so she thought it was a perceptual thing again, maybe, you know? Well, that's why I, that's why I'm maintaining sort of my uh, quest here is it a secondary phenomenon, uh -huh. UFO? But uh, uh, if you go to my website, cyberspaceorbit.com, and go down to my uh, uh, search engine and type in orbs at Montauk 
it'll pull up first top. It'll pull up a reference. Click on that, and you'll see a guy that went to the Montauk base, which is now abandoned, with a with a digital camera, and sort of poked around there and, and uh, stuck his camera through some openings to, to some bunkers and so on. And man, there's stuff floating around all over the place. There's there. It's like one big electromagnetic field or resi residual field. That I keep saying EM over and over, but I really don't know if that's accurate but uh, you have all these little pin lights flying around uh, and uh, sometimes he said they would coalesce come together and take form and apparently what happened uh, according to some of the myths and legends about Montauk is uh, one of the experimenters up there uh, released uh, let me how should I put this released a kind of id being ID it being like a uh, the, the the locals up there called Junior, <laughs> mm. like like uh, like the like the critter from that movie uh, Forbidden Planet back yeah. in the fifties. I think that's where they got the idea for the movie to tell you the truth. Really, because they all talk about Junior still stocks that territory. Wow. Yeah. Hey, um, for the for those of you listening out there. Go uh, go to your video store, and if they don't have it, request uh, a copy of the movie called Forbidden Planet. It was made, I want to say early 50s, don't quote me, but uh, anyway, that, uh, that might, <laughs> it's actually a great movie, um, and it might give you some insight into some of the stuff that we're talking about. So in any case, go, go ahead, Ken. Well, uh, so I visited with them. You know, I went through a period of my life where it all just sort of collapsed on me, uh, I'd had a lot of otherworldly experiences, and, and yet I was trying to maintain as a professional, you know. And uh, and I reached a point in my life where it seemed like my personality just sort of fractured up. I became susceptible to various things and mm -hmm. got myself in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm familiar <laughs> with that story <laughs> in my own life. So. Of course, that's part being a musician. <laughs> well, it's also a part of life experience too. I think you, the, the, the tough part is making it through. If you can make it through those things, you end up coming out with a great deal of uh, of insight, I think, and and wisdom, I think, through through the experience. But the difficult part is making it through, and a lot of people don't don't make it through. So well, it's like all these things are happening, and then suddenly you go into a dark night of the soul, and nothing's mm. happening. Right. And uh, but if you can pull out the other side, then it starts happening. Right. And it happens at an accelerated pace, as though it should have been going on the whole time. Wow! But uh, and it'll come back at you, and uh, and so you know, within the last ten years, twenty years, it's been leaking back into my existence again. Huh. Huh. These experiences. Any yeah. of the, those out? Anybody out there had such experiences? Ever well, seen hey, a UFO? <laughs> that's a, that's a good idea. Well, um. We'll give out the phone number here, and uh, we'll talk for a few for, few few more minutes, and then we'll take a take a break. And when we come back, we'll uh, we'll see if anybody'd like to call in and and tell us what they're thinking, or if they've had any similar experiences, or any different experiences, or whatever. Just uh, uh, we'll feel free to give us a buzz and um, and let us know what you're thinking. The number here, if you want to call in uh, and get on the air and, and ask uh, Kent Stedman a question, is area code five seven three. Four four three eight two five five. That's four four three talk. Um, so uh, in just a few minutes, we'll 
I'll uh, turn my little phone set on here, and uh, if you have something interesting uh, uh, to talk to us about, as soon as we come back from this next music break, um, just uh, feel free to call anytime, and I'll pick you up and put you on the air with Kent. All right, Kent. Well, you know, this stuff has been going on in within humanity for a long time. I'm looking at a quote here that's so ancient. You know, we really don't know how ancient it is. It comes from the Emerald Tablets, the oh, history of Thoth the Atlantean. Right, Thoth the Atlantean. Which, if, if there was an Atlantis, you know, puts it back 10,000 years B.C., 6,000, mm-hmm. 10,000. But there's a quote that, that apparently when the Library of Alexandria burned down, they saved the tablets of uh, Thoth. Right, the so-called emerald tablets. Yeah, they saved them because they were so important. They skirted them away and hid them, and apparently they're still around. Anyway, here's a quote, and it goes like this. Mind you, echoing to us from 6,000 B.C. Free was I of the halls of Amenti, bound not, not to death to the circle of life, but to the circle of life. Far to the stars I journeyed until space and time became as not. And having drunk deep of the cup of wisdom, I looked into the hearts of men, and there found I greater mysteries, and was glad. For only in the search for truth could my soul be stilled, and the flame within be quenched. Now, we might be uh, interfacing here with Toth, writings of Toth, uh, with one of our first humans, that was indeed a space traveler. And that raises an, an issue, you know, are we really, do we really need to build all these uh, metal devices to get into space, or maybe not, you know? Well, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Terence uh, earlier, and one of the things that Terence said was that man is manifesting physically and technologically everything that he is actually capable of doing himself. And that... Um, and he m- made an analogy to the uh, the internet, for example, being this idea of a global brain, which is w- w- which is uh, or this ner- this big giant neural net that's becoming sort of the planet's uh, consciousness, and and he, and he and and it's the ultimate manifestation through technology of what of what human beings are capable of themselves and so I would and, and he would put space travel uh, into and everything else quite frankly into the exact same category well Toth gave very serious uh, detailed instructions and I don't think we have all of his writings really but we have some of it in general and he, he'll describe how to do all this <laughs> First of, all, first of all, he says the most important ingredient is the mind itself, you know. Mm-hmm. Look well into the mind and its mysteries, and there you'll find the secrets. That's right. Know thyself. And uh, But then he'll describe uh, his journeys into space itself, and uh, he talks about space being geometrical in nature. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as empty space, according mm-hmm. to Toth. It's right. a, a series of geometrical uh, relationships out there and how to travel through them and for instance he says stay away from the angles mm-hmm. uh, remember a couple of years ago we were looking at the sun and uh, and uh, in the coronal field around the sun we began to discern like angles <laughs> sure I do cubes yeah 
pyramids? It, like the solar plasma would uh, burst out of the sun, but right. we began to see uh, identified. Yeah, clear geometric shapes being defined by the plasma itself and by and by the uh, by the by the physical material of the sun that was being blown off into space. It's pretty weird to see the sun blow cubes. <laughs> yeah, I mean these are things that 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 we're being that we're that we've been told do not happen in nature, <laughs> right? And then I mean it's obvious, and, we, and uh, these are these are images that were downloaded you know, directly from the Soho and Lasco. Uh, satellites, um, uh, so we're we're not taking these pictures ourselves. These these are the these are the sanctioned ones, you guys, that we're talking about. And you can you can see all this stuff at uh, if you go down to orbit um, at uh, cyberspaceorbit.com. Um, Kent, this is a good chance to take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, let's about talk the, about those angles. Yeah, uh, because we have for, we have a lot uh, on the internet and personally for quite a few years. So. Yeah, I think that's worth um, I think that's worth spending a little bit of time on. So. Okay, uh, you are listening to Radio Orbit, and uh, this is Mike Hagan with you every week. And uh, my guest is Kent Stedman tonight from cyberspaceorbit.com. We're going to listen to uh, a little bit of music here and be back in just a minute. Uh, don't forget, at 5 o'clock, uh, Carol Greenspan comes in, and Carol does a show called Jewish Spectrum, playing uh, music from uh, all over uh, the spectrum in the, um, of Jewish artists, and she plays some really interesting and some really good music. So stick around for Carol uh, and Jewish Spectrum after my show here at 5 o'clock. And we'll be back with Kent Stebbin in just a minute. You're listening to Radio Orbit. This is U2.
U2 from the Joshua Tree. That was uh, One Tree Hill, a song they wrote for John Lennon. All right, I'm back with Kent Stedman. Uh, you still around there, Kent? I'm still here. Hanging with me, man. My it's electrical guitar is sitting right here, hanging on the wall right next. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what, you know, what about this, huh, Mike? Yeah, the L, what, what? the L. You look in the, the Hebrew, you know, those experiences I've had that are kind of a dynamic and I, the best way I can describe them is electromagnetic. Well, mm -hmm. There it is, the mm -hmm. L. Yeah, the, um, uh, right before the break, we were talking about this uh, geometry, um, this geometric relationship between, well, I'm not really sure between what, but there seems to be something going on geometrically, and we've actually seen it physically from the sun, and then we read about it in some of the ancient texts um, that have been uh, written and uh, and studied over the ages and from 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 all kinds of different uh, um, different backgrounds and different religions and the angle that we're talking about uh, is obviously really closely related to the word angel uh, a n g l e versus a n g e l and there's that l again um, but also the letter l itself um, the letter L, when you draw it, makes a, a 90 degree angle. And, uh, hey, Kent, we actually have a call coming in here, so why don't I grab this and uh, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off, but let's get this guy on the air here. Okay? Patch me in, patch me in. All right, hold on a second. All right, call, are you there? Yes, I'm not a guy. All right, hey, uh, do me a favor. Can you speak up just a little bit and speak right into your phone there? Um, I'd still like you to be a little bit louder, but I think I can hear you. Can, can you hear her? I can hear, yes. Okay, hi, what's your name? Uh, I called you in the past. My name's Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Yeah, I remember you called a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't feeling so well then, but I'm doing much better. I had some comments about what he spoke at the very beginning. I'm not a speaker. I'm a writer, mm -hmm. and I've had speech injury so I can't always get my words but um, when he was talking about the vibrations going up his back mm -hmm. or through his body okay. the pulsations I experienced that a couple of years ago at a house party and it was a certain type of music um, drum and bass and mm -hmm. um, I don't know different kinds of vibes I'm not sure which it was but it was in the morning about now four or five o'clock in the morning and most of the I'm older than the young people that attend these things but I appreciate the music mm -hmm. and um, some of them had just taken a break and were lying on the floor and they were smoking their pot and I was lying on the couch just leaned back because I was ill then and so we were in that space in between I know that relaxed space I had my eyes closed yeah it's a magic state yeah all of a sudden this very, very intense. It, it is an electrical feeling. I thought at first it was the Kundalini, mm -hmm. but then I thought, like he has spoken, that it came from outside of me. And I thought it was the young people in the group just dreaming in their pot because <laughs> they were falling asleep. <laughs> and it was just this very intense rhythmic pulsation in the womb area. So, which chakra is that? You know, I had just associated it with the creative energies. 
but I don't know if the music was well, part of the vibes of the music did it because it's not happened since. Hi, you know, um, uh, Kent, you can add uh, add your comments in a second, but um, I certainly have read uh, reports that that, that this uh, that this sort of phenomenon is uh, it's not uncommon for it to be triggered um, with. Uh, with music and in, and in particular drum music and in fact if you go to some of the indigenous cultures uh, that still exist today and certainly many that have existed in the past they used uh, music in their rituals along with uh, sometimes uh, concoctions of hallucinogenic uh, plants and things but, but certainly the music was a big part of that experience uh, what do you think about that Kent? Well Deborah, uh, Mike and I are both musicians and uh, uh, so we <laughs> we know what it's like to, to participate and be inside of a musical experience and that happened to me one night I was playing uh, bluegrass type of music with a couple of really good fiddlers and a banjo picker and uh, uh, we played all night long next thing we knew the sun was coming up and not a person had left this party that we were at there's a, a bunch of lawyers actually but you know they said they were transfixed, and we 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 asked them what happened, because we literally lost time and space. We peeked out in our music. It seemed like the music was playing us instead. And the, you know, the next day, all us poor musicians were on the phone calling each other, saying, "What happened?" <laughs> but well, yes, music music can me. propel you into that type of space, or or the music environment, as you speak of. I don't do the drugs. I don't smoke pot. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't do alcohol. So you know, this I'm 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 an ND, NDE near death experience through childbirth, and um, I have seen the lights in the sky over my trailer one time that really alarmed me one night when we were driving towards it from uh, Millersburg area, but I did not see a shape. It was just a very fast light that zoomed away as soon as we entered the old gravel road towards the little area that we lived in and that always alarmed me because this thing had been hovering and I'd watched it for miles like five miles or so and it was always there and I thought that's not like an airplane that's not like a helicopter and then we turned onto our long gravel road and then when the lights hit that area it just zoomed away really fast but it alarmed me thinking that it has been there before you know, and, you we've know, actually something watching over the back pasture where the cows are, and you know that it it did it took quite a bit of psychic talk to myself just not to be afraid of it. But I've never mm-hmm. seen anything since. Mm-hmm. Huh? Don't well, you think? Very, very interesting. But For me, a lot of UFO experiences have been like that—not necessarily a flying tin hat, but a light. And you know, we've seen them in space when they uh, when they did an experiment in space called the tethered satellite. Yeah, from the shuttle. From the shuttle, a whole bunch of lights started circulate like bees around honey. <laughs> and ag- and again, if I could add, uh, Kent was talking a little bit earlier about the orbs that uh, um, have been photographed in places like Brookhaven and at Montauk. Well, that was a similar uh, phenomenon that we saw with that tethered experiment, Kent. It was just sort of like, and again, sort of like the the pin lights that we uh, that that the uh, some of the Native Americans talk about in sweat lodge and things like that. They all seem to be somehow related. Yeah, I wanted to add that I am a trance dancer now, and because ah. of the near-death experience, my whole body, hit, my mind has been altered, my consciousness. I used to travel all over the country to workshops and. 
places that, you know, um, about psychology and the mind and medicine and mm-hmm. Native American things mm-hmm. and um, some of the Nigerian stuff I've recently attended. But um, I, I work with my breath, right. maybe a really expanded sense of yoga, mm-hmm. but I can keep dancing for a long, long time and never get tired. I outdance the young people. But this also enhances my thinking. Sure. And here was a book I wanted to ask you if you had read about Dark Night, Early Dawn, and it's about the perinatal beyond reincarnation and the sacred geometry. I work with that, too. So mm. I recognize everything you all are talking about, but nobody mm. around me knows what I'm talking about. Well, I you have know, to stay silent. Well, let me tell you something, Deborah. First of all, I, I, I appreciate everything that you're talking about, and I, really, and I want to thank you for calling in because it was uh, the... Um, it's another corroborating uh, experience, and that's what this stuff is because uh, it's it's very difficult to explain through traditional means. And um, uh, I, I haven't uh, particularly read that uh, book. Christopher Bache's introduction, or whatever it's by well, Stanislav Grof. Would you um, would you do me a favor? And I don't know if you have access to a computer, but if you'd send me an email. No, I won't use a computer. Okay, okay. For some reason, I have not up yet. All right, no problem. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, uh, I actually have a tape of this program, so I'll back it up and um, and uh, and I'll listen to it and I'll check it out. Next time, maybe um, maybe I'll talk about it on the program sometime. Or if it's something that's interesting and maybe his journeys were with LSD. He has oh, well. gone into those mind journeys and out of body and those studies oh, and, sure, and going sure. through the levels of the mind. And, yeah. and I think maybe even through the interconnecting folds of, of our fabrics of dimension that go into time travel and stuff. I don't know what he's working with, really, but I understand it. Some part of me understands it. All right. Well, we'll check it out. And, uh, hey, keep listening, and we'll see what, uh, what what Kent has to add to this stuff, okay? Yeah, thanks. Hey, thanks again. I appreciate the call. Okay. Well, that was great. Yeah, pretty interesting call from that uh, from that woman. Um, and see, if we're brave enough to talk about these things, then, like I experienced going on the Internet, there are other people that are having these very powerful, uh, jolting experiences, but they kind of, you know, we're kind of trained by our academic environment or, or just our culture to, to keep the lid on it all, <laughs> to keep quiet about it all. But, I, you know, we're reaching the point where I think... Uh, fabric of society is getting a little bit strained and now maybe it'll give us a chance to uh, to break out and talk about these things and yes the UFOs that I have seen have been mostly light phenomena not crap phenomena but light phenomena and it makes me wonder if uh, <clears throat> the entity the L again the E-L the Elohim you know, and my Irish people call them the elf. <laughs> right. Or right. electricity. Yeah, and the elves. Yeah, some sort of underlying energy phenomenon that's, that the ancient Hebrews called the El. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, all of the archangels, well, first of all, you have the word angel, like we, mes- we mentioned earlier. Uh, the word angel itself ends in the letter E-L, and, uh, and the letter L itself it, is a 90 degree angle um, so we have this sort of uh, this, this sort of again play with words um, that we talk about the, the green language and the language of the birds sort of idea but um, but all of the archangels for example Gabriel Michael uh, 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 Raphael 
right? Um, all of the uh, Ariel, Barachiel, Shamuel, Delagiel, right? All these angel names are uh, end with the letters E-L. So there's definitely something going on here with the geometry that we're talking about before. And um, uh, I'm, I, I've never quite been able to put my finger on it, but, uh, but, but there's certainly something there. When I was a college professor back in my professor days, I, uh, I was talking with a bunch of students in the classroom one day, and, and uh, uh, somebody, one of them said, well, I know this lady who's uh, kind of clairvoyant, and she said to go up to a certain very specific region uh, east of uh, north of Fresno, actually, at Millerton Lake, and, then, and hang out there at sunset on a specific day, <laughs> and we'd see something. And so we did on, on Lark. There were about five mm -hmm. of us went up there. And right at sunset, here came the lights. <laughs> they came flooding in from the uh, west, coming as though they were coming from the ocean side. Hmm. And they came right over the lake and hovered around. Well, we tranced out. Speaking of trance dancing, we tranced out. And later, when we tried to recoup the whole thing, everybody had a slightly different story. But the only common theme was that we all saw something. And, and basically described as a, 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 you know, recognizable shapes of pretty and bright light. Several of them, many of them. Right. Wow. Well. Um, oh gosh. And I've seen know. them way up too, up in the mountains. You go uh, in Canada. We were in Canada, and also up in the Sierras. Right. You look up, and there are these lights. They look like meteors, sort of, except they don't. Right. Well, right. They dance around take, and take sharp angles. You know, the other thing that just comes to mind is that when we talk about light, um, light is essentially photons, right? Mm -hmm. And photons, another, another way to describe a photon is an angle of light. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, now, now, the word angel... Angels have have always been called the messengers of God. Um, angels are considered messengers. Now, light, light, a photon of light then can also be sort of be considered a messenger, you know, because depending on the angle of that light, the frequency of the light, all of the properties of that particular photon. It interacts differently with our physical world, you know. So uh, again, it's it's uh, man, it's loose. But I'm telling you, there's a there's a very serious connection there, and I think there are hints to it all all throughout our our, our historical uh, um, archaeology and, and, and all of these ancient traditions. Astrophysics too, you know. Light is really big. It, you know, it's the big C, it's the uh, constant, and the Einstein always described the fact that as things approach the speed of light, that they uh, increase in mass and decrease in time. In other words, uh, you seem to be moving through time. And time is absorbed into the entity that's traveling at the speed of light. And they could measure this by measuring particles that approach the speed of light, and they seem to increase in mass and, and have time distortion as well, but it all happens at light. It's almost that when we see the sun or a source of light or light itself as a, as a 
as a body that we're seeing what we can see of the next universe because at that fulcrum, the speed of light, everything changes big time. Right, and interestingly, where they do all those experiments, places like Brookhaven and Montauk, that's where we see these orbs and things like that, too. So, Okay, um, we're going to take a short break here. We'll be back with Kent in just a few minutes. Uh, if anybody else has the, uh, the courage uh, to uh, give us a call here, the number is... Uh, again, 443-8255 if you want to get on the air and ask uh, Kent Stedman a question. Uh, in the meantime, we'll be back in just a few minutes. And uh, Carol Greenspan with Jewish Spectrum in about 20 minutes following my program. Hang in there. We'll be right back with Kent Stedman. Back now, 
fang destroyer limps in the bay down at the beach. It's attracting quite a crowd. As kids wade through blood after it to play, okay, you made me scared. You did what you set out to do, I'm not prepared. You really had me going there for a minute or two. You said you made me scared too, I wasn't sure I was getting through. Gotta go. It's been a pleasure doing business with you. KOPN Radio Orbit, this is Mike Hagan, and I'm with Kent Stedman. We've got about 10 minutes here to finish up the show and uh, spend a few more minutes with Kent. So uh, let's just get back to it, Kent. Where were we? That was a nice last segment. That was interesting talking to that lady. Very interesting conversation. Uh, also, the music was great. Was that a 12-string guitar? You think? It's not, actually. The guy is playing. It's two guys playing six-string um, together and, uh, and with a bass behind it, you know. But, yeah, that's a band from Toronto. One of my favorite bands are actually called The Tragically Hip. I've played a couple other songs uh, by them on this show. Uh, anyway, yeah, the, 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 you know, the music, and we always, we always kind of gravitate back to that, but the music is a big part of this program because it's a big part of, of my experience in life, and I think that um, through the music, um, we, we are capable of... Uh, certain levels of transcendence and experience beyond the physical, you know? Well, here's the deal, you know. Who are we? I'm getting to that age now where a lot of people that I know that are my peer level, three people the last two months have gone over to the other side. You know, it really makes you come to grips with, well, you know, what is this thing going on here? Right. You come from the unknown and then the, you blink your way through life and then you check out. But, uh, and technically speaking, you know, one of the answers to that question is that we're not just uh, meat and potatoes, hamburger land here. We're we're also, and it's measurable. We're we're energetic beings, and uh, uh, whenever we produce a thought or a feeling or a perception, you know, we we literally, like your radio station, we radiate. And the, uh, that radiation goes out and mixes with uh, the, those waves go out and mix with a, indefinitely with a pool of radiation that connects us to the everything. 
Right, and we know now that, uh, uh, again, through, uh, through science and medicine, that the heart uh, actually, uh, the human heart, um, uh, exhibits its own magnetic field that extends some, some inside the body. Uh, so, so my magnetic field is interacting with anybody in the room with me, whether we're in physical contact or not, and all these fields are interacting, and, and, and we know this now. Uh, and again, the quantum thing just throws such a monkey wrench into all of it, you know. So we're already trapped. Einstein says at the speed of light you achieve infinite mass and timelessness. But guess what? Part of us, you know, actually the more permanent part of us is already traveling at the speed of light because that's what we are. I remember, uh, you ever see the phantom leaf effect back in the 60s or 70s where they, they, would, they would photograph with Carillion photography the, the field around various objects and they'd take, they, they took a coleus leaf from a coleus plant, little house plant. Right, right. And they, uh, they photographed the leaf and showing the uh, uh, coronal field around. It looks like the sun's corona around it if you photograph it through electrophotography. And uh, then they cut the plant in half, <laughs> the leaf in half, and photographed, photographed half the leaf. Yet what appeared on the uh, plate was the entire leaf, <laughs> the electromagnetic field of the entire leaf. So, you know, that raises some serious uh, philosophical questions, like which is primary and which is secondary. Is this body or the, that leaf physical... Uh, is that the primary thing, the, the entity that broadcasts the electromagnetic field, or is the field itself primary, mm -hmm. like the blueprint or the architectural plan that the leaf sort of grows into? Mm. Wow, no kidding, man. That's uh, and I think that uh, I think that the research research is tending to to agree with that, to say that the field is probably the primary and that the physical is simply a vehicle, sort of. Well, as we look out into the universe, you know, it's a, it's a mighty place and on cyberspaceorbit.com, that's what we're trying to do. We keep our eyes, we look through the space telescopes that are in orbit around the Earth and we, we watch the center of our solar system, which is the sun a lot, and uh, that's the, the sort of old Sol, source of light for our entire planet. Uh, we look out to the other planets, Mars and Jupiter and Neptune. I find out things all the time that just blow me away. Do you know, for instance, that it rains on Jupiter? That <laughs> in the upper levels of the atmosphere there are literally rain clouds and it, it, it precipitate water. Yeah, what was it, uh, the, the Galileo probe that was out there? Or was it... Uh, yeah. Yeah, Galileo that went to Jupiter, right? Yeah. Yeah, when, and, and when it was going through the atmosphere, it found water and rainstorms and all this. And you look out beyond, into the beyond, and it almost looks to me, outer space starting to look more and more like the ocean. And not an empty vacuum type of place. It, it might might appear to be dark in some regions, but you know we only see a slice of of the universe.
because our our senses won't go there, and uh, even our mathematics have a hard time with what is called dark matter, which comprises 99% of everything. Right. But what I think is that, that space is full to the brim, and when you start talking about uh, 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 who we are and what it is, you, uh, the ancients, the only way they could reconcile or find a language that could describe all of it is through geometry and mathematics. It's, it's sort of like uh, the difference between uh, talking business and and uh, playing a tune, you know, it's a different sort of language. When, uh, it's the language of geometry, and it's very interesting to me how the arts and the sciences and the and the uh, the factor of the uh, rational mind, and then the, the and then based with the muses and the, so on, how they all interrelate. And at times, I feel like what we're observing is kind of the precipitation of a huge myth. It keeps snowballing through and the three-dimensional world, changing form, changing shape, and like Terence McKenna, who fascinates both Mike and myself, he says, the universe seeks novelty. And so, you know, we can't rest on our laurels too much because something surprising is going to be coming around the corner. Right, right. You know, I have, uh, I have a young son now. He's only 11 months old. And talk about seeking novelty. Right, that I see it in, in 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 the child now. Right, that's all this child is interested in. Okay, is seeking novelty, and uh, and and that might be a little hint in that too. This idea of uh, of creator force. Uh, yes, 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 and the, and the nature of and and the uh, and wonder of the child in order to be able to accept all uh, every and all possibility. I lost you there for a minute. Uh, I, I was saying that, that it w in the child's mind, any and all possibilities are valid. Well, uh, like I say, you get older and the child vision sort of returns. It's called galloping senility. Right. I find that a lot of my life now, you know, if I'll sit and watch television or something, I'll doze off and, and I'll go back into my dreams. It's like we came from a dream and we're going back into a dream. That's uh, the way I see it. Kind of like a Mobius strip. Right. Well, in and out of the dream statement, and yet what we call the wake-up world in, in in America in the 20th century, we call that real. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, black is white is one of the things that I say all the time, and those three words to me sort of represent a whole lot of what's going on right now. So, well, listen. Um, Ken, as always, we're out of time. We could probably talk for hours uh, more, but we'll have to do it again. Um, uh, thanks, as always, and uh, your insights are always welcome here on this program, and, uh, and, and I appreciate it every time that you, uh, that you spend time with me. So I appreciate it. It gets an old retired guy out doing what he used to do. <laughs> well, I... Uh, that's exchange ideas with other people. Yeah, no kidding. And there's certainly uh, there's certainly people out there listening that appreciate it, too. I know that. I've had some great responses um, uh, on the program since uh, since you've been on. So, okay, everybody, uh, uh, that's going to wrap it up for me. We'll finish off with little Neil Young here, but uh, thanks again to Kent Stedman from CyberspaceOrbit.com. That's www.CyberspaceOrbit.com. Dot com and uh, Kent will be with me uh, here and again every now and then uh, probably within uh, within a month or six weeks something like that and 
we'll talk to uh, and we'll talk to him again. And I apologize, I've been having some problems with the microphone tonight. Um, we'll have to get one of the engineers on it, but uh, they'll have that straightened out soon enough. So, anyway, as I said, thanks as always to Ken Stedman, a close friend and uh, one of my uh, most uh, most favorite researchers. Uh, we'll be back with him one of these days. So, okay, Kent, thanks, goodbye, and uh, to all my listeners, uh, thanks for listening to the program. I won't be with you next week. Uh, we'll play a recorded show, but I'll be back on uh, September 11th and 12th with G. Edward Griffin, and we'll be talking about 9-11, the Federal Reserve, uh, and uh, believe it or not, the connections between those two things. So, uh, thanks again, as always. This is Mike Hagan, Radio Orbit, KOPN 89.5 FM.
great show from our new colleague, Mike. You'd never believe this, and he's never been on air before until he came up here at KOPN a couple of weeks ago. Doesn't he sound like he's been on air for 100 years? Well, he hasn't. Uh, it's very exciting to have him up here on KOPN with, first of all, his incredible uh, guests and insights and strangeness for me, and I love it, I love it, I love it. So thank you, Mike.